And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, I think that's a moment worth lingering in. You know, I think um, I was going to share with this with you at the end, but I think I'm going to share it now. I had the opportunity to go to a retreat in California two weeks ago. And as we drove into the retreat center, there was, and, and bear with me, I know we're all not Catholic, okay? But sometimes visuals are good, right? So we drive in to this retreat center and there is a statue of Jesus and he has his hands just like this. And what that said to me was, I'm inviting you in. Come retreat with me. And I think that's what he's saying to us right now. Is I'm inviting you in. Sit with me. Linger with me. Just a moment. We're not in any hurry. I'm not going to keep you. You're going to be able to have lunch today, I promise. But I think when the God of gods, the almighty King of kings, our Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit invites us to linger, I think we should. So let's just linger for just a few more minutes. I want you to think about the words to that song that you and I both just sung of you have been so good to me. And it goes on to say, Lord, I can't even believe. I can't believe it. What a friend you have been. So, Lord, we gather here today only because of you. And only for you. Lord, we thank you for the invitation To come and sit with you. To linger with you. To be reminded of who you are and what you have done for us. And praise you, God, that you're not just a God up in the heavens, but you sent your son, Jesus, to be a friend to us. And then your Holy Spirit empowers us, lives within us so that we can live each day following you. Lord, that's what we want. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the invitation to be in your presence. We join you this morning. Lord, would you speak? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you who don't know, my name is Kelly Womack. I serve as the executive pastor of leadership and ministry here at the church. It's always a joy to bring you God's word. And today we're going to finish up this series that we've been in titled Stories That Change. And we've talked about the play on words there. Stories that change obviously mean they change as we encounter Jesus. But not only that... It's stories that we can share with other people to also bring change into their lives. We are messengers of our own stories of our encounters with Jesus. I just want to do a quick review of the last several weeks 
just so you'll be mindful of how we're getting to where we are today. The very first week, Derek brought a message from the book of Acts called a conversion story about Saul. And Jesus, after encountering Jesus, he changed from a persecutor into an apostle of Christ. Week two, I brought a message on a transformation story where the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, encountered Jesus as a broken outcast and was transformed into an evangelist sharing Jesus with her people in Samaria. The third week, Derek brought another message from Luke 19 about Zacchaeus. It was a revelation story. Zacchaeus, being a tax collector, had an encounter and a revelation from Jesus, and he became a righteous steward of God's riches. Week four, Jason brought a message from Matthew in First and Second Peter called a restoration story about Peter and how Peter had an encounter with Jesus and became fisher of men and was restored. Last week, Derek brought another message called a deliverance story where Jesus delivered a Gentile man named Legion from a legion of demons, and he became a witness of God's power, goodness, and mercy. Some amazing stories. And I say the word story loosely. We use that word loosely. You know we're not just telling tall tales here, right? These are in the word of God. They are true. And they are meant to transform us. They are used so that we can relate to what God is saying to us. Well, today our story is all of those things. It's conversion. It's transformation. It's revelation. It's restoration. And it's deliverance. And just so you know, we're not elevating any one of these people that we've talked about. The reason we share these stories with you is not to elevate any one of them, but so that you can relate to them because we begin to see ourselves in all of these stories. Well, today, I've titled mine The In-Between Story, and I'm not going to give you the punch on yet, okay? So you will just... We'll just see how that works out. This is from John 20 today, verses 1 through 18. I'm not even going to tell you who the main character is yet, okay? So we're just going to read along. We're going to begin in John 20 with verse 1. I'm going to give you just a few seconds to find that on your devices or in your Bibles. John 20, verse 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter the, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, let me pause right here because you're going to see this, the other disciple. The other disciple that is mentioned here is actually the writer John, which is hilarious to me that he calls himself the other disciple. So we see he's talking about himself here. And he says, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. P.S. That's me, John. Okay? And he said, she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. All right, let's not rush through this. 
Do you understand what has just happened? Jesus Christ has just been crucified. They have laid his body in a tomb and buried him. All those who had been walking with him believe him to be dead and gone. It's traumatic. Mary Magdalene, one of the women who followed him to the burial and now goes to the tomb because what she wanted to do was, first of all, to make sure his body was still there, but also to continue to just be there with her king. So she goes and the stone has been rolled away. And so when she sees the stone, she's scared. She's not going to go in and look. She goes running back to Simon, Peter, and John, which were staying at a house nearby because they too weren't quite ready to leave the area after Jesus' death. We pick up in verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, remember John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Isn't that awesome that he said he outran Peter and he's writing this? It's hilarious to me. Come on, y'all. Okay, thanks. That was a little bit. He bent over. Now, Peter, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, which we know from Jason's message was a ball of fire, He came along behind him and went straight in the tomb. He wasn't hesitant at all. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So the cloth that was on his body, separate from the linen that was on his head. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So what did John believe? John believed he was gone and something miraculous took place. He just wasn't sure what at this time. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. They saw enough. He's gone. Nothing we can do. We're going back. We pick up in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She's not leaving. She is devastated. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. Now they, John and Peter didn't mention that. So I don't think the angels were there when they went in. She sees the two angels, one at the head and one at the foot. And then they spoke to her and said, woman, why are you crying? She says, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around from the tomb, turned her back to the tomb. She turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And Jesus asked her, same question, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, 
And I'm sure her eyes are full of tears at this time. If you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, uh-oh. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Well, we could just end it there. But I think if you read this like I read, read this, you're like, who in the world is Mary Magdalene? Right? I mean, how much do we hear about her? Not very much. But we know if she had this encounter with Jesus, the first one that he appeared to after being raised from the dead, there had to be something there. There had to be a relationship there. Who was she? Well, today, we're going to have a little help from our friends from The Chosen. How many of you have watched the series, The Chosen? If you haven't, I highly suggest it. I, I don't get paid for this commercial here. I'm just telling you. Watching it will bring the word to life for you. They take a lot of liberty filling in blanks like we're going to see today. This is Mary Magdalene. Now let me tell you, I'll, I'll back up just a little bit before I show this clip. We see her in this episode as a frightened young girl whose father continuously reassures her with the verse from Isaiah 43 that says, Now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. And we see her later, and for most of this episode in The Chosen, in her brokenness and in the throes of demonic possession, she keeps going back to this verse that her father gave her. But she starts to lose hope because her situation doesn't seem to be getting better. And in one scene, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, visiting from Jerusalem, is called upon by the Roman government and says, Go and exercise those demons out of her. She's causing trouble. He is unsuccessful. And actually, he flees from that area because of his own fear. No one can really help Mary. And Nicodemus acknowledges that only God himself can cast out the demons from her. And so after he tries to exercise those demons from her, she continues in her misery, even contemplating taking her life until one night she found herself at her wit's end in a bar, trying to drink away whatever she was still feeling and still wanting to kill herself. And she walks out in such pain and misery 
And this is what happens. Mary. Mary of Magdala. says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You Can you imagine having an encounter with Jesus, someone who you do not know that calls out your name? And not only does he call out your name, but he knows things about you. He knew that that was the verse that her dad had given her as a child that she continued to come back to. And he spoke those words out loud. Such a beautiful scene. But what is really cool about that scene is when he says, Mary, that is the same voice when she's at the tomb that she hears that says, Mary, she knew it because of what happened earlier in her life. She knew his voice we don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene, but we do know that when she encountered Jesus, she was delivered. In Luke 8, 1 through 3, it says, After this, and after this meaning the time when Jesus' feet were anointed by a sinful woman at the Pharisee's home, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, the 12 disciples, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Well, let me just tell you, as we research and learn more about Mary, it's kind of hard to find out because there's so many Marys in the, in the Bible. Would you agree? It was a very common name for first century Palestinian girls. In fact, we notice six 
women named Mary in the New Testament. We have Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, who we talk about today, Mary of Bethany, who was a sister of Martha and Lazarus, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and then Mary, the mother of John Mark. So if we're careful, we can get them confused. She's also been very confused with the sinful woman that poured out the nard on Jesus's feet and wiped it with her hair. There's a lot of uproar about whether or not that's her. I honestly don't know. But it's kind of interesting to me that as Luke tells us about the women who were following Jesus, he doesn't point back to that. It's just the chapter before that that he talks about this incident of this woman uh, putting nard on Jesus's feet and anointing him with her hair. So it's interesting that he doesn't mention that and put those two together. But you know what? It really doesn't matter. It could have been her. We don't know. Mary Magdalene just means Mary from Magdala. And you heard that in the video. He said Mary of Magdala. It was a town on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was probably mostly Gentile, they think, because there was a hippodrome there, which was used for horse racing and chariot racing. Mary Magdalene's name only occurs... 12 times. And all of these are confined to the Gospels. And except for Luke 8 that we just read, the parallels of three scenes that take place within a period of 36 hours, we just see her name at the scene of the crucifixion, the burial, and the scene at the empty tomb. So why is she so important if we don't have that much on her? I think in John 20, what we see is enough that she came to the tomb and Jesus appeared to her first as the risen Lord. When she heard him say the word Mary, it took her back to that moment that we just viewed. See, Mary Magdalene was delivered from her past and her suffering. Do you, do you relate to that? Do you relate to being delivered? And maybe you're thinking... I haven't been delivered from any demons. Well, you know, in, in our language, I would say that a demon is anything that separates you from God. Anything in your life that separates you from God. Have you been delivered from that? Have I been delivered from that? I know for me, it looks a lot like anxiety. Sometimes pride, often fear. And Jesus, thankfully, has delivered me from much of that. Well, the next thing we see about Mary Magdalene is that she was devoted. There are several things that we see here. She followed Jesus from town to town. It says she helped to support him with her own means. She cared for his needs, and even when the disciples fled, she followed him to the cross with his mother. She and his mother married also watched to see where they were buried. And on the day of the resurrection, she was among the first who went to the tomb to bring the spices for Jesus' body. 
You see, after Mary's first encounter with Jesus, the encounter that we got to see visually this morning, thanks to the chosen, after that first encounter, Jesus became the center of her life, the center of her universe. And it's no surprise that we find her at the crucifixion, at the burial, and at the resurrection because she was not going to leave his side. You know, even though we talked about it's not likely that Mary Magdalene and the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair were the same woman, Jesus could have definitely said the same thing about both of them, which is, Shown in Luke 7 where it says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. See, when Mary was delivered, it changed everything for her. Because her deliverance was so great, so was her love and her faithfulness for Jesus You know, go back as I was just praying before I came out here, that song that we were singing, I can just imagine being a song that Mary Magdalene would sing all the time of you have been so good to me. God, I can't believe the friend you have been to me. She was so moved by what Jesus had done for her. She knew that Pre-Jesus, life was nothing. It was miserable. She wanted to take her life. She laid and flailed around and had a miserable life until she met the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he called out her name. And in a moment, she was healed. She was delivered Are we so devoted to Jesus that he is the center of our life? I want him to be. The next thing we see is that Mary Magdalene was a disciple. Now, I'm not saying she was one of the 12 that we talk about, but she was definitely one of the followers of Jesus who merited the title disciple. The reason we know that is that disciples in general accompany People on a mission. She did that. She actively employed her material resources for the advancement of the kingdom. She willingly followed him closely, even at personal risk. And then she calls him Rabboni, which means teacher. If he were not her teacher, and she were not his disciple, why would she call him that? There was a relationship there. Mark 8, 34 says, Jesus was telling a crowd, as well as his disciples, this just wasn't the 12, this was a large group of people. He said, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Mary Magdalene did that. Are we willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus? The next thing we see is that Mary Magdalene, because she encountered Jesus, she is discerning. We go back 
to the verses in John 20. In her grief, she was trying, to, she saw these angels, and, and honestly, she doesn't even act like she acknowledges that she's seeing angels. And I think it's just because she was so just desperate in that moment of what is happening and where have you laid my Jesus? But let me tell you what happens in these verses. You see, there are different Greek words that John uses for the word see. If you go through John 20, 1 through 18, you're going to see the word saw, seen, or see, or look for multiple times throughout that. And we have, the English language is very, you know, (laughs) it's just kind of like black and white. When you look at the Greek, it brings things into color. It brings the word to life, if you will. And I want to show you the different words that are used in this particular 18 verses that John uses for the word see. In verse 1, where it says, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the tomb had been removed from the entrance, is this Greek word just blepo. It just means to see and look with your eyes. It is with your physical eyes you are seeing something. We see that in verse 1 and verse 5. The next word for the use of see is weeda, which is to perceive or understand. We see this in verse 2 where Mary Magdalene says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. That don't know is also that word see, understand. She didn't see him. She didn't understand it. She didn't perceive where he was. The next word is theario, to gaze, to look with interest or purpose. And we see this in verse 6. And if I'm boring you, just hang with me. There's a big point here, okay? So hold on. Verse 6 says, There Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there. This is not the blepo. This is not just seeing with our eyes. It says here that he saw... As if to gaze or look with purpose. He was looking in to find something. He didn't just look. He looked in. You see the difference? And the next word is zeteo, which is in verse 15, which is actually a word from Jesus' mouth. When he says, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? That word looking for there is the same, all in that same group of words used for see. And Jesus says, who are you zeteoing? Who are you looking for? In other words, who are you seeking? And not only does it mean looking for or seeking, it actually means to desire which was lost. In other words, Jesus knows when he's looking at Mary and he says, Mary, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? What he is saying to her is, Mary, who are you looking for that you think you've lost? And then the last word, arayo, in verse 24, which means to encounter or discern clearly. Now here's where it gets good, y'all. In verse 24, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, 
not in verse 24, I'm sorry, verse 18, I have seen the Lord. That word seen there doesn't just mean to see with your eyes. It means to encounter or to discern clearly. Now listen to this. Mary went from just seeing or looking with her eyes in verse 1 to not understanding in verse 2 to actually gazing or looking with purpose to see the angels. And then Jesus in verse 12 asked her, who are you looking for? Meaning, who are you seeing that you think you have lost? And then she finally encounters Jesus. And she fully and clearly discerns that he is the risen Lord. I have seen the Lord. And not just I've seen him, but I have encountered him. I have discerned clearly that he is alive. He's not dead. You see, she couldn't see life without him. That's why she followed him past his death. She was desperate for him. So desperate. Do we recognize Jesus when he comes into the room? Do we see him? Do we just see with our eyes? Do we just read the Bible and and go on about our day? Or do we encounter the risen Lord? The next thing is she was deliverer of good news. And we see this in the scripture where Jesus says to her, don't hold on to me. And he's not saying, get off of me. He's saying, don't hold me too tight. I got business for you to do. And I want you to go on. I want you to go to the disciples and tell them what you have seen. And she goes and says, I have seen the Lord. You know, this story in and of itself gives the Bible some, in my opinion and in many, many other commentaries' opinion, some historicity. In other words, we can believe it to be true. And here's why. There's no way that a Jewish theologian or scholar or writer would put a woman as the first person to see our risen Lord unless it were true. There's no way. She had a testimony. You do too. We've talked about it from week to week, but again today, this is the last day of this series. There are testimony templates on the back at our offering boxes. If you're like, Jesus has done something for me, but I definitely couldn't tell people about it because I don't even know where to start. Those templates will help you. Write it out. It's not supposed to be some long, drawn-out thing that takes you an hour to do. It's supposed to be five minutes or less. This is who I was before Jesus. This is where I am now. And this is what he's done for me. And that's really it. So please, please, we hope that these stories that change others will become a story for you, your own story that can change the lives of other people as you share what Jesus has done for you. The last thing we see here is that 
Mary Magdalene encountered Jesus and she is defined by her new life and not her past. You see, Luke mentions her as the woman whose seven demons were cast out. But when John writes about her in encountering the risen Jesus, the demons are not mentioned. Because she's not defined by that anymore. She had been walking with the disciples. And the disciples knew her to be Mary. A freed person. You know, we don't know exactly what her background was. We know that she had seven demons come out of her. We, there are conjectures and people that say perhaps she was a prostitute. Honestly, we don't know, but it doesn't matter because of this. Whatever her background was, she suffered before meeting the Savior. And guess what? Whatever our background is, we suffer before meeting the Savior. Mary isn't defined by who she was before Jesus. All that matters is who she became after Jesus. Paul explains it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. In the Chosen series... After Mary is delivered by Jesus and several episodes later, we see Nicodemus sees Mary again just walking about in town. And he's astonished. He sees this woman who he went to try to cast demons out of and fled for his own life. He sees her clothed completely with a beautiful smile on her face and completely healed. He asked her, Mary, is that you, Mary? She says, yeah, it's me. He says, what, what happened? And this is what she says. I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. See, we were all one way. And if you have encountered Jesus, you should be completely different. And the only thing that has happened in between is Him. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine what she felt hearing her name being called again from her risen Lord and knowing that he made all the difference. See, she had an in-between story and so do you. What's your in-between? There's some reflection questions today. The first one is, how has God delivered you? What has he delivered you from or do you need to be delivered do you long for an encounter with Jesus to see him clearly and understand who he is and recognize his voice? 
because of what God has done for you and in you? Are you a devoted disciple? Are you faithful? Or do you need to commit, recommit your life to him today? Do you define your life by your past? Do you walk around with that luggage, that baggage still on your shoulders of who you were? Or do you walk around knowing that you are a new creature in Christ? And that next question is huge. Do you allow others to define you by your past? Don't let them. They have no place. No place. How did you encounter Jesus and what does your in-between look like? Where are you today in your walk with Jesus? Can you stand with me, please? The altars are open. I want you to picture Jesus with his arms open wide, inviting you to the altar to sit with him. If anything has resonated with you today, the Lord, this is the most important time of our service is how we respond to the worship, the ways that we sang, the words that we sang, and to the message. This is the time of response. Has God been speaking to you? Has he called your name today? And what has he asked you to do and how to respond. We're going to sing that beautiful song again. I want you to think about these words as you sing them, and I want you to respond as Jesus leads you.